and welcome to Since the World's Been Turning. This podcast series is a journey through history, one guided by the lyrics of Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire. This episode tells the life story of the philosopher and poet, George Santayana. While not everyone today might know who Santayana was, and even fewer are likely to have read his work, almost everyone has at some point repeated some of his wisdom. An unassuming man, George Santayana has nonetheless inspired countless writers and caused millions to stop and think. Joining us on this episode are three very special guests. Professor Richard Rubin from Washington University in St. Louis, President of the George Santayana Society. Herman Sartkamp, President of Stockton University and the editor of the numerous volumes of The Works of George Santayana, and Professor Martin Coleman from Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, and director and editor of the Santayana edition. In the eerie and sombre silence of the Auschwitz concentration camp complex, visitors walk through brick structures that stand as horrifying testaments to the very worst manifestation of human hatred and suffering. In some of the sprawling expanses of this complex, there are few trees and no birds sing. Silence is met with sadness. The pain endured by millions haunts the very air of this corner of the world. The memory of this place is so awful that some visitors wonder, why don't they just tear down what's left of this place? As people walk through it, some wonder, why did I even come here? Then, as visitors continue, their hearts dark with the history they've come face to face with, they come to a plaque on the wall. It reads, The one who does not remember history is bound to live through it again. Visitors are given pause to reflect. They come to understand that this is of course why places such as Auschwitz must remain, so people can learn of the horrors realised here in the constant effort to make sure such a thing is never allowed to happen again. The name of the man who wrote the poignant words on the plaque is George Santayana. George Santayana is born Jorge Augustin Nicolas Ruiz de Santayana y Borras in Madrid in 1863. His mother, Josefina Borras, has recently rekindled an old relationship with Augustin Ruiz de Santayana both having recently returned to Madrid after years spent in the Philippines and the United States. Josefina has three daughters from a previous marriage, Jorge's half-sisters. After Jorge's birth, the family soon moved to Avilla, near Madrid, where Jorge spends most of his childhood. Jorge's father, Augustin, is a painter and an intellectual, but he will not spend many years with his new family. This is because in 1869, when Jorge is just six years old, his mother takes his half-sisters to live in the United States, fulfilling a promise she made to her late first husband and the girl's father that they would be raised in America. Young Jorge remains in Avilla with his father until 1872, when at the age of eight his father takes him to Boston, where they reunite with Josefina and the girls. However, life in the United States is not to Augustin's liking, 
and sadly neither is his renewed relationship with Josefina. So he soon returns to Spain. He won't see his son again for many years. During his time growing up in Boston, Jorge's name is anglicised to its English equivalent, George. Professor Richard Rubin goes into more detail about George's childhood. The father tried to stay with him, but realised that he just could not adjust to American life and return to, uh, to Spain. Uh, Santiana did not see him again until after his first year in college. Um, but his father wrote to him all the time. And we still have those letters. And in many ways, uh, uh, Santiana's view of the world and the religion came a large part from, from his father. Santiana in America, immediately his uh, uh, older sister Susana wanted to teach him English. And he wrote that he had, that someone had the happy thought of placing him, even though he was eight and a half, almost nine, uh, in a kindergarten class for a year, so that he learned, as he said, I learned to speak English without accent, but not only that, he learned the, uh, the rhymes of children and, uh, and the patter of, uh, of their speech, which he, he always thought was an important part of really understanding the heart of the life. So there was Santiana, left without a mother for a few years, then brought to America and, uh, and soon without a father in a, in a strange land, having to learn a strange language. So he always thought of himself uh, throughout his life as, as an outsider. His childhood wasn't exactly happy. In fact, he, he always said that the, uh, the, the material world was, was not really a place of comfort uh, to him. Like most families in Boston in the late 19th century, Santayana's family is religious, so he attends Unitarian Church on Sundays. However, even as a young boy and as a teenager, his views on religion are not traditional ones. His philosophical tendencies emerge from a young age, as Richard Rubin explains. But he said in his autobiography, he said, even then, he says, I, I, I was not under any delusions. He says, I, I knew that it was all mythology. He says, I knew that the true meaning of, of, of hell is that, that anything that happens can't be undone. It was, what it, 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 it was what it was for all eternity. He says, that's hell. You imagine you're dancing in the fires of Dante's Inferno, you're under a delusion. And so he knew that even as a young man, as a, as, a, as a teenager. After high school, Santayana enrolls in one of Boston's most prestigious institutions, Harvard University, where he flourishes, becoming socially active and engaged in his studies. Although he initially plans on becoming an architect, his natural inclinations towards language and writing see him pursue philosophy as a postgraduate student, he also falls in love with travel. Herman Sartkamp discusses this stage of Santayana's academic career. Was, he, he did his undergraduate work strongly influenced by James, William James. And then he, he 
took a Walker Fellowship, split it with one of his best friends, all by the name of Charles Augustus Strong, who was very wealthy. And they went to Germany together. They gave Santiano time also to travel, which he wanted to do. After his sophomore year at Harvard, he visited his father every year in Spain. But he also took the time to go to other places, places like Rome, Venice, other areas of Spain as well. He finished his undergraduate work, came back, did his graduate work. Again, a very fine student, but again, very active in the community, very involved with the social life, uh, so much so that his uh, mother and sisters became worried about particularly a relationship with one of the women in the hierarchy of the social structure. While doing that, he also wrestled with hosting events and meeting with students and so on. When he finished his dissertation, he was offered a position at Harvard. Now he had planned to go to MIT. He already had everything set up to go to MIT to study architecture and to become an architect. The position at Harvard was actually a one-third position in terms of teaching, which he held for quite some time. Why would he choose a position that was one-third as opposed to being a full-time student, full-time architect? Because it permitted him to travel. In 1893, Santayana has a metanoia, a change of heart, and decides that being a professor and teaching is not what he wants to do anymore. At just age 30, he's already planning to retire from academia. He'll later claim that the death of a student and the passing of his father inspire this change in him, as does the marriage of his sister Susanna, to whom he's very close. Instead of teaching, he wants to pursue his own creative imagination and write about the human spirit, philosophy and naturalism. The pragmatic American way of life starts to conflict with how he wants to live, and he becomes increasingly dissatisfied with how Harvard and other universities are being run in order to make money. So he begins charting a new course for himself. He wants to give up what he considers the possession of things, which includes forming romantic attachments to people. Martin Coleman talks more about this next phase of Santayana's life. When he's talking about this, that the truth of life could be seen only in the shadow of death that living and dying were simultaneous and inseparable. And I think, I mean, that's a, a powerful way of saying that things are always in flux, right? Things are always in flux and that the disintoxication is getting rid of these illusions that make us think they're not in flux. So after all of this, right, is when his, these are the, you know, the, the nature of his academic career. I think these things really set the terms you know, when we go and we look at the biography and the autobiography, because it's after this that all the great works come. Although Santayana continues to teach, his heart isn't in it. What he really loves doing is writing, and he soon begins writing a series of books that are to be considered masterpieces of 20th century Western philosophy. His first, however, is a book of poetry released in 1894, Sonnets and Other Verses. 
Part of what will make Santayana's later philosophical works so engaging is his poetic and lyrical approach to language. Making complex works on philosophy not always easy to understand sound beautiful nonetheless. A Sense of Beauty is published in 1896 and is one of the first English-language works to discuss the philosophy of aesthetics, the study of beauty and art. After teaching on and off for several more years, as well as travelling around the Mediterranean and Europe, including reaching faraway places like Damascus, Santayana completes what many consider to be his magnum opus, a five-volume work called The Life of Reason, which is released in 1905 and 1906. Richard Rubin discusses what makes The Life of Reason such an important work. He comes out with this five-volume work on the life of reason in which he attempts to show uh, the, the first volume is about is reason and common sense in which he talks about how reason functions in, in everyday life and gives his general ideas of what it means to be rational. And then he talks about its manifestations and some of the, the great achievements of, of mankind, society, religion, art, and science. So those are the five volumes. When this book um, uh, came out, it was so comprehensive. And also, he has this uh, fluid literary style that uh, often both took readers in, but also confused them because it wasn't always the, the easiest to actually figure out what he, was, uh, what he was saying, even though it sounded nice. But, but here was this, this monumental um, uh, work. And what Santayana did was to say that, look, life has a natural origin. It evolved, the human beings are part of the animal world, and, and yet, it has, uh, we're able to formulate ideals and have aspirations. And the idea of having natural origins and ideal ends, this was uh, especially appealing uh, to e even the philosophers he ended up not, not agreeing with and who had uh, ultimately had different moral direct directions or different senses of how to live. He still found in his work a kind of, uh, excitement and refreshment, and then he was able to bring um, a, a sense of appreciation of uh, the spirituality of human life, uh, but to see that as part of the natural world. In May 1911, Santayana announces his formal retirement from Harvard University. By this time, his mother has become increasingly unwell. When she passes away, he decides there is nothing left for him in America, and in January 1912, he leaves the United States for good, sailing back across the Atlantic and returning to his native Spain. An inheritance from his mother of $10,000, almost $300,000 in today's money, alongside the royalties from the publications of his books, means that he can enjoy his 50s with relative ease. Santayana spends much of his time travelling, including to Paris and Oxford. When World War I breaks out, he's unable to return to the continent and remains in England. During this time, 
Though many universities offer him work, he refuses them all and devotes himself to his writing. In fact, after his retirement from Harvard in 1911, Santayana will pen more than 20 books throughout the rest of his life, leaving behind an immense body of literature. While he writes continuously throughout his life, he holds true to his philosophies of possession and never marries nor has children. After the war, though he continues to travel around Europe, Santayana increasingly begins to reside in Rome. When Mussolini rises to power, Santayana is initially impressed, hoping this striking new leader might bring some order to the chaos of Italian civil society. However, it doesn't take him long to see the dictator for what he is, and he grows nervous for the fate of his adoptive homeland. In 1923, the year after Mussolini seizes control of Italy, Santayana publishes another landmark philosophical work, Scepticism and Animal Faith. Then in 1927, he begins another important philosophical endeavour, the four-part series called The Realms of Being, releasing the last volume in 1940. Hermann Sartkamp discusses these monumental works. Skepticism and Animal Faith and Realms of Being, by Santayana's own account, were his most important philosophical works. Skepticism and Animal Faith is an introduction to the realms of being. One has to understand Spanish irony to capture the delight he had in writing Skepticism and Animal Faith. What he does is, at that time, there were the, all these movements, idealists and rationalists and, and others, uh, even pragmatists, who had a view of truth that one could establish it, that there was an entity, that humans were different from other animals because we had some sort of reasoning ability and the like, and that was somehow an entity. And he takes the effort to found philosophical knowledge on certainty, which Descartes did and lots of others tried afterwards. And he shows with an incredible smile on his face, I think, that it ends nowhere, what he calls the solipsism of the present moment. It's a reductio ad absurdum argument. And from there, he then transfers to animal faith. Human beings are animals. And if you want to understand our actions, just as if you wanted to understand the actions of other animals, of tigers, of snakes, elephants, birds, so on, you would turn to understanding the culture of those animals and what it fosters, how they come together in a natural way, and also how they celebrate and have this type of what he called spiritual life, a sense of joy, delight, conscious joy, delight that one can take pleasure in. He divided, what was unique about it, though, is he then came out with the four volumes, the realms of being, uh, in which essence, matter, truth, and spirit are the four realms, truth being a subset of the realm of essence. What is unique about it is that he's using old-fashioned terms. He's using 
primarily the terms of Plato and Aristotle and so on, and is very heavily indebted to Aristotle. And he's doing this at a time in the United States in which no one used those terms. And yet it turns out to be his most important philosophical work from his perspective of pulling together his ideas and celebrating those ideas. So the very idea of going from somehow we're unique and we've got this intelligence of mind that's a separate entity to our being animals that act and mind and consciousness are simply reflections of that. And that to really understand human behavior, you understand the culture of humans and what it cultivates. But as Martin noted, one thing that we can do, and animals do this as well, is to enjoy delight in what he calls the spirit, consciousness. And that is something that is just wonderful. But you can never possess it, nor does it possess you. In 1941, with the war now raging across Europe, Santayana attempts to flee Italy by heading to Switzerland. However, his paperwork proves problematic to border officials, as most of his money comes from the United States and Britain, while his nationality is Spanish. He's denied entry at the Swiss border and is forced to return to Rome. In October 1941, Santayana, now into his 70s, enters the Clinica della Piccola Compagna di Maria, a hospital run by Catholic nuns that accepts distinguished guests in order to care for them. Santayana spends the rest of his life in the care of the nuns, dying on 26th of September 1952 at the age of 88. His enormous body of work inspired countless people, including many other writers and philosophers, such as Bertrand Russell, Ezra Pound, T.S. Eliot and Gertrude Stein. Although Santayana wrote dozens of books, one of the reasons he remains most famous is his aphorisms, concise expressions that reveal a truth about the world in a brief sentence. Perhaps his most famous aphorism is the one that warns visitors at Auschwitz of the danger of forgetting history. The one who does not remember history is bound to live through it again. Today, this is commonly repeated as those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. But he has many other aphorisms, tiny expressions full of wisdom. For example, only the dead have seen the end of war. Sanity is madness put to good use. Depression is rage spread thin. The family is one of nature's masterpieces. There is no cure for birth and death, save to enjoy the interval. There are, of course, many more poetic pearls of wisdom to be found in his huge body of literature. His work on naturalism, understanding human life, and writing philosophy with a dash of poetry remain his most profound contributions. Thanks for listening to Since the World's Been Turning. Special thanks to our guests, Professor Richard Rubin, Herman Sartkamp, and Professor Martin Coleman. Thanks to Will McGillivray for the introduction music and to our writer, David Coyle. 
Please join us again next time as we continue to explore the people, events and places behind Billy Joel's iconic song by telling the story of one of the most feared dictators in history, Joseph Stalin. For more episodes and information, you can follow NZ Pods, that's P-O-D-Z, on Instagram and Facebook, or you can visit our website, www.nzpods.com, that's nzpodz.com. Giving us reviews and ratings on your podcast service helps us share this project with more listeners, so please share your thoughts. We greatly appreciate your help in keeping this project going. Thanks again for listening, and please come back next time to hear more from Since the World's Been Turning.